Thanks, John. You guys can have a seat if you're in the room. Maybe some of you at home are standing up for that as well. All right, so today we're going to talk about sermons. Wouldn't it be great if I could let you give me feedback right now? I mean, we give them and you listen, right? What happens when you listen to a sermon? Sometimes I admit when I'm giving them, the biggest point of contention or of struggle is trying to figure out the three main points, right? A good sermon has three main points, and sometimes they're alliteration, right? They start with the same letter. Or there are three to-dos afterwards. Somehow we've figured out in the church that it's easy to remember three things. But sometimes it just feels like more to-dos, like a checklist. Do you ever come away from a message and think, oh man, I better get my act together? I just need to like get this area of my life in shape or I feel really convicted and again, the to-do list just keeps getting longer. Well, we're in a series right now studying the best sermon ever given by Jesus Christ himself and I have to tell you, it is slightly intimidating to try to preach on a sermon. Kind of think about that, okay? Yeah, thanks, Kristen. (laughs) That's what we're doing. We're trying to preach on a sermon that's already been preached. As you listen today, I hope that you will try to imagine yourself as part of the crowd. So back in Jesus' day, he had been out in public ministry long enough that the tens, fifties, even hundreds of people were coming to hear and to see Jesus. They came to him because he was a teacher that taught with wisdom they had never heard before. He healed people. He had authority over demons and over sickness. He touched the lepers and he did things they did not expect. He also taught in such a way that was unexpected. Earlier in Matthew, in chapter 4, we see this crowd, and it talks about the sick, the demon-possessed, people that had lifelong, like, chronic pain. We saw that they came from Judea. They were Jews. They were also from the Decapolis, which meant they were not Jewish. Some of them came from really far away, and other people from the region where Jesus was from. And when he entered the scene, Matthew tells us, as well as other gospel writers, the first thing he said was, repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. Today we're going to talk about that kingdom. We're going to talk about the members of that kingdom, how they live, and what difference does it make that this kingdom that Jesus said is now near. We're also going to talk about how to access that kingdom. What I want to give you the good news today is this is not a sermon, I hope, that turns into another thing on your to-do list. Instead, it gives us a vision of how this kingdom is going to work. It will tell us the way. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus sketching out for us this vision of the kingdom which one day will be complete, but is here now because he brought it. So Matthew 5, we'll start in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill, it can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So true confession, this might be one of those sections of scripture that maybe you've heard 
what, eight, 10, 15 times anyone in the room? How about you at home? We've heard this a lot, right? <clears throat> and true confessions this week, as I was practicing my sermon in the kitchen, Brian said to me, yeah, I've kind of heard this before. It's hard to pay attention. <laughs> so I get it, okay? In last week's sermon, we started in chapter five. Matthew uh, shows us that Jesus starts the sermon with the blessed. Did you guys remember this or have heard this before? Blessed are the? Jesus calls out the poor, the mourning, the persecuted, the quiet, the easily forgotten, and likely those on the edges of society. And he calls them blessed. And then he transitions into this statement, you are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Now, anyone who knows me for five minutes or less, you know I'm a kind of salty, lit up kind of girl. So this resonates with me. Like, you tell me I'm salt and I'm already nodding, right? For some of you, you might not feel like this. But the good news is today, as you are part of the kingdom, Jesus says you are salt and you are light. Jesus is preaching to all kinds of people. He's telling the meek, the mourning, the persecuted, you are salt and light. And what I think he's getting at with calling them salt and light is that just like salt and light cause something to be different, we have influence on that which is around us. We may not think we have influence. Maybe we're meek, timid, shy, or we feel like we don't have a great big circle of people that listen to us. But Jesus would say otherwise. Jesus would say, you who are in my kingdom, you have influence As we follow Jesus, we have impact. We get to be impacted by God, by these blessings from God that he gives us, and we get to influence with the help of the king, who is Jesus. Now, this kingdom of God is wherever God is reigning, where he wants done, is done. And it's not just some far-off kingdom. Jesus says it is here. Now, for some people, they think, if I'm going to follow Jesus and be part of this kingdom— I need to kind of cut off all the bad stuff. I'm going to isolate myself. I'm just going to hang out with people who believe like I do. We go to the same places. We believe the same things. Maybe we vote the same, but we like live the same life. Other people would say, I am going to reach the world by becoming exactly like the world. And there's not a great distinction between them and the world around them. These two ways of living, in my opinion, are some of the ways we diminish our saltiness or dim our light. We either are so like the world, there's no difference, or there's nobody to influence because we're just around people who are just like we are, and there's no one who needs that salt and light. Others believe, as I do, that this world is not all that there is. We were made for something more. Stanley Hauerwas says that we are like resident aliens in a foreign land. We are here, God willing, for a lot longer. We're here on earth for a season of time. But we're created for something more. For a kingdom that is unfolding but is not yet complete. And when we act like salt and light, we are evidence of that something more. And we get to influence everyone to understand that. We are influenced by the kingdom And we become influencers that point to that kingdom. Does that make sense? If that part doesn't make sense, it's going to be a long morning. We get to point to what is coming ahead. We get to be part of revealing the kingdom. 
a kingdom of justice, love, reconciliation. Don't we need some of that today? Light and life. And as we live out as salt and light, we are evidence pointing to that kingdom that's not here yet, but we get to experience it today. And we don't have to just wait for it. We've been singing this song from Hamilton. Anyone? Wait for it, wait for it. Okay. The kids have been singing that all week. I was like, I wish you are going to be in the room so you could sing that for me at this point. We don't have to wait for it. We don't just have to sit back and wait for the someday. We get to make the impact today. We get to have influence today because the kingdom has influenced us. And it's coming. We know that it's coming. And we get to remind people of that today. We get to be salt and light. We get to make the wimpy and the tasteless come alive. We get to outshine the darkness. Darkness never overcomes the light. That is just a fact that we get to experience. We get to tell people that there is something more. But it doesn't start or end with us. I cannot do this on my own. I have to be influenced by the kingdom. So going back to Matthew 5, verse 17. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands, did you catch that? Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Oy, I wish I could kind of leave out that last verse, (laughs) to be honest, because it harkens back to that feeling, right? Like we have a lot of boxes to check. I've got to be good enough to get into this kingdom. Or if I don't maintain that goodness, I'm going to be out of this kingdom. But remember what Jesus says at the start of the section. In verse 17, Jesus said, I will fulfill it. And we know now, chronologically, he has fulfilled it. Jesus has checked off all of the to-do list. Now, sometimes when I read the Law and the Prophets, I get a little wacky because I'm a Gentile. And a lot of my teaching as a Christian has been kind of New Testament focused. Jesus was a Jew. He was raised Jewish to honor the law and the prophets. So when he says, I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets, he's imagining the law as the Jews did. It was a beautiful thing. Those of us who are good Bible, like readers or Bible studies, Psalm 119, super long Psalm, right? And it's all about the law. It's all about the word, right? I'm getting a nod. It's all about the commands. And is it like, oof, these commands are burdensome. God help me. No. It's this like wonderful, super, super, super long psalm about how wonderful the law is. Dallas Willard says, the law is not opposed to grace. It is a grace. Legalism. When we use those laws to create this bounded law, uh, law bound life, That's what binds us. That's the opposite of grace. Dallas Willard says, The Bible says that the law restores our soul. It's the structure of a life of grace in the kingdom of God. The law is the course of rightness, not the source of rightness. 
just like the, the words that we're going to study in the Sermon of the Mount, it is the course. This is how things are going to work. It's not the source. Does that make sense? I just think that is so key, you guys. Otherwise, we're going to study the Sermon on the Mount and walk here every week. We're going to go, I am screwed. I can't do this. Jesus says he fulfills it. He not only is the course of rightness, he's the source of it too, right? That's the good news today. Jesus fulfills all of it. Now this kingdom, I said, this kingdom is where God is at work, where he reigns. The kingdom is something we look forward to. He talks about this. You're either going to be in and out or out of it. We will have no more tears, it says, in heaven. There's also this great picture where we don't need lights anymore. (laughs) We aren't going to need candles. You're not going to need your flashlight. There's no sunshine even because Jesus is the light. It is the one day we look forward to, and I would say as a 44-year-old living in America in 2020, I am like longing for it more than usual. (laughs) Have you just heard people say, I'm just waiting for Jesus. This would be a great time for Jesus to come back, maybe before the election. Maybe some people are saying that. Romans 1 tells us that we're groaning. The earth is groaning. Our bodies groan for this one day. Well, Jesus said that it is here. We don't have to wait for it, remember? He said it is right now. Now, I think this is interesting because as I think about Jesus, how the kingdom works, he could have said, Kristen, this world is going to be tough. But guess what? One day, honey, there's going to be this beautiful thing. And that might have been enough for us. Do you know people like this? Like their life just is really, really, really hard. But they have this heaven, like one day it's all going to be fine. And that's enough for them. God bless them. But for others of us, like really? Are we going to continue to experience this fill in the blank? The unjust violence. The unjust killings. Trying to stick up for the underdog when nobody else will. The liars, the cheaters, the pastors who are unfaithful. We're just tired of it, aren't we? And Jesus says, guess what? You can experience the kingdom. This week when we ran for clean water, every time somebody donated, I was like, "Woo! Somebody's getting influenced by the kingdom and they're influencing, pushing this kingdom out. Every time one of, my bro- one of the brothers in our house chose to give the sister the last whatever it was, orange juice or cookie, I was like, God is evidence of the kingdom right here in my house. I read a story about Chadwick Boseman. He was supposed to be a co-star with a woman in a film, and he gave up part of his salary because this female was not getting paid what she should have been. That's evidence of the kingdom, isn't it? Right now. It's not just one day. It's right now. It gives me hope. I need that. <laughs> I need to give, get up in the morning and have more and more evidence of the kingdom. And I believe that when we're salt and light, we get to be evidence of the kingdom for other people who need that hope. As we are influenced by the kingdom, it can't help but trickle out, and we get to push out more and more. We are praying just this morning that the attitude that we have as volunteers, we were just having fun today, it was calm, peaceful, and we prayed that that would like, like seep out into the hotel, you know, that they might not even know what's going on. But when we are experiencing it, I think it naturally comes out. So this kingdom today, it is accessible to us through Jesus right now. Jesus said, though, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
Repent can have a lot of different connotations. Perhaps it gives up a little bit more of those like, oh, I got to check a box. I got to do something. And it is true. There are times we need to change directions. You've been on a trajectory of spending too much money. I need to start cutting back, right? I've been starting to eat too much sugar because I'm tired. Okay, I need to change directions. Oh, we're, I'm getting some elbows. I'm not going to call anybody out, but I saw a few elbows there. <laughs> so when Jesus said repent, he was telling people, you're going to have to change directions. But guess what? It's not a direction about to do or not do. to do. It's about me. It's about Jesus. Are you moving towards Jesus and his way and his kingdom? If you have not been moving towards Jesus today, I would call you to repent and today say, Jesus, I want to turn my trajectory towards you. I want to be part of that kingdom. I want to have a life of influence that comes from the one who can influence me to kingdom matters. Some of the rest of us, when we hear about being salt and light, maybe we too could repent. Have we let our salt diminish or our light dim? Our impact, our influence. Are we being influenced by the wrong things or are we influencing for the kingdom? So what is it for you today? I think we probably all have areas in our life that we could repent for me, I've been thinking about how much time I'm spending with my kids lately. And when I am with them, what are we talking about? And what are we doing? Well, how do I need to like turn my trajectory? In my time with Jesus, what does it look like, Jesus, for me to be moving towards you as I spend time? Am I journaling or am I thinking about myself in all the ways that I've been screwing up, frankly? And as I'm living, am I pointing towards that kingdom where God is reigning, where all things that are, should be done are being done. This weekend, I was studying, uh, I'm taking a New Testament survey class, and there was this phrase that came across that I thought was just really fitting. It says, we are a people of tomorrow, awaiting the dawning of God's kingdom in its fullness. We are awaiting it. And we are allowing the Spirit to bring our lives fully in line with that tomorrow, but living for today. So today, would God have his way in us as we seek to be salt and light, following Jesus who fulfills all things, all the law, the law and the prophets? He will one day bring his kingdom, and we look forward to that, don't we? Let's pray. Jesus, you fulfill all the good things. Jesus, you are radically generous, and you give us yourself as a role model Jesus, you are the one thing that we need when we say, just give me Jesus, whether we're alone in the morning, whatever it looks like, God. Jesus, I pray for those who are watching online, people who are in the room with me today, who need to repent. Jesus, you know there are things in me. I need to change my trajectory. How am I being an influence in my own family, in my own neighborhood? Lord, for people who have not been walking towards you, who have not been following you, Jesus, that they would see themselves as included in those who are blessed. Jesus, would you help Crossview be salt and light as we live our lives in Mankato, in North Mankato, these confirmants that are being confirmed today, that you would bless them to be a blessing. 
Amen.